once again, Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you all here. I always enjoy this chance to get to come and open God's Word here with you. Uh, So we're continuing our study through the book of Numbers. Once again, if I can get my notes to cooperate here. Uh, The book of Numbers. Um, And this has been an interesting study in a lot of ways. Uh, Numbers, as we've been learning, kind of fills the gap between the familiar stories of the Exodus and the also fairly familiar stories of Joshua and Samuel, of the Israelites taking the promised land and going to dwell in it. And so Numbers connects us with what happens in the middle. Uh, We see God act on behalf of his people. We see God guide his people. We see God lead his people through difficult circumstances, through rebellion and disobedience. And we see his sovereignty in the midst of it all. Uh, These past few weeks, as we've studied through Numbers, uh, we saw kind of the the storyline of Numbers really reach a climax a few weeks ago. Uh, Israel sent the spies into the land and was preparing to go in and finally capture the promised land, take hold of what God was going to give them, and they failed to do so. They rebelled against God, complained that they couldn't do it, and so God gave them what they asked for, that he told them that they could indeed die in the wilderness instead of going into the promised land. And so Israel began their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, waiting for the rebellious generation to die out and for their children to take their place to lead the nation into the land of Canaan. And so in the midst of this, um, we see just kind of how God interacts with the people of Israel, how they deal with this situation and what they do moving forward. Uh, chapter 15, where we were last week, uh, we saw kind of a, a break from the narrative to cover over some various laws and sacrifices. We saw that God has a plan through all this, that God desires obedience from his people. And uh, the main point we covered was that God forgives the repentant, but he punishes the defiant. And we'll see that same theme continue on in uh, many ways in Numbers, especially as we continue our study tonight. Uh, We talked a little bit last week about willful disobedience to God's commands, to his word, to his truths, and the consequences that come along with that. And we'll see that illustrated quite graphically here once again this evening. And as we continue to read, some questions arise. Will the people learn and will they obey given everything that's happened? Will the leaders of the people learn from their predecessors? We saw that the the leaders, the spies who were supposed to be preparing to lead the people into land were immediately executed for their disobedience. And what will the new leaders do when they're given the choice to lead in obedience to God or to lead in their own ways? And so in this chapter, we're going to see a number of notable sins committed once again by the leaders of the people of Israel. They begin by questioning Moses, questioning God's chosen leader. They rebel against that leader. They blame Moses and they blame God for the consequences of their own failures, refusing to take responsibility for their actions. They lead the people into disobedience. They spurn God, it says, that they really are just spiting God and his laws and his commands. They're failing to revere or respect God's holiness, and they're complaining about the situation that they have 
been brought to because of their own disobedience and their own failures. Not a lot of good things going on in this chapter, but we get to see God's sovereignty and God's love in the midst of it all the more. So that being said, let's begin our study. Numbers chapter 16. Verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. And they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And so we see these notable men, these leaders within the tribes, uh, notably Korah was kind of the, the ringleader of this ordeal, uh, gather up a group of people. Um, it's not just a small deal that it lists, you know, kind of these, these main ringleaders here, Korah, Izhar, Kohath, um, or Korah, excuse me, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, um, kind of leading this deal. And they get 250 other guys, notable men within the nation, leaders, people that uh, should be leading people towards God, people that the rest of the nation would know and respect. And they go to Moses, and they question Moses' authority. They're telling Moses that he is exercising too much authority over everyone. They're asking, if we're all holy, we're all God's chosen people, how come you get to be the leader? Why are you so special? Um, what makes this something that you get to do over the rest of us? That they're questioning the role God had given Moses. Um, it's amazing how quickly the people forget all that God has done, all that God has led them through, all that God has done through Moses even. This is the man who um, was kind of the, the hand that performed all the signs and plagues that led Israel out of Egypt. That he was the leader God had chosen for the nation of Israel. And God had confirmed that position over and over again as they journeyed, as they stopped at Mount Sinai and were given the laws and the commandments. And they still weren't happy with all of this, that they questioned what God was doing here. And we see Moses' response in verse 4. It says, When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and he will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourselves, Korah and all your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. And as Moses responds to this questioning, to this um, coming rebellion, his initial response, he fell face down before the Lord. That he didn't necessarily try to reason with them, to argue with them, that he realized the best thing he could do is to seek God in prayer. That was his first response. We see also uh, that he tells them that they should let God choose. He says, okay, you want to be leaders, you want to be priests, you think that I'm not doing a good enough job, 
let's go before God and let God decide that God has chosen Moses for this position. And so if God has decided it's time for somebody else to be there, Moses says, okay, let's, let's see what he does. What will he do? Uh, the wording there is interesting to note too. It says um, in verse 5, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, holy or set apart. And he will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. That God will choose, he will um, either verify, confirm Moses as his leader and make that evident, or he will choose someone else, draw that person near to himself and make it clear that he is the set-apart leader, the one who is to be leading the people of Israel at this time. And so Moses instructs them to take censers. Now, this is kind of a, an instrument they used for burning incense, kind of a little platform of some sort that they would put the incense on and um, burn it as a sacrifice, an aroma before the Lord. And so he tells all of them to do this. This was normally something that only the priests would do um, at the tabernacle in the presence of God. But they're instructed to all do this, to come before God, bringing this incense before the Lord and see who God chooses, who God confirms to lead the nation of Israel. And Moses continues talking to the people in verse 8. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that this God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? And so we see Moses kind of sees through a little bit of the, the motives behind this. That their complaint was that they felt Moses was lording over them or ruling too harshly. He was exercising too much authority is what they stated. Um, Moses kind of sees through some of that and lists saw some other things too. That they were not content with the role God had given them. Uh, Korah, the main leader here, was a Levite. We learned as we went through Leviticus and through previous chapters and numbers even, that the Levites had a very special and unique role within the nation of Israel. That they were to serve before God. That they were to serve really the needs of the priests in the tabernacle, help perform with you know, the various duties that would happen around all the sacrifices and the feasts and different things. They were really just one step below the priests in a lot of ways. So this was a very unique, special role, and they had been set apart for this. But they weren't content with that still. And that wasn't enough. Uh, they were not content where God had called them. They were not content serving the priests. Um, that they wanted more recognition, more power. That they wanted to be known. We also note uh, that in verse 11, Moses tells them, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. That they went into this thinking that Moses wasn't doing a good job, that they didn't like Moses, they didn't want to follow Moses. But really, by not following Moses, by not following God's appointed leader, they were assembling themselves in opposition to God. That this was not a small deal for them to be taking on. 
uh, that when they should have been trusting Moses as God's appointed leader, instead they went the opposite direction and brought themselves in opposition to the Lord. And we see in these verses here just how quickly things can spiral downward when someone has desires and ambitions that go beyond the place God has given them. That God has placed all people, he's placed all of us in areas of life for a purpose, for a reason. And it's not necessarily bad to be desiring to move on to bigger things, to do more, to accomplish more. But being discontent with a person's calling can quickly lead to some very bad things. James chapter 3 says, Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. And that's a lot of what we see in these verses here. That this jealousy, this selfish ambition leads to more and more disorder, to more destruction, and eventually to death because of their unwillingness to be content with where God had placed them. And so after telling this to to this group of men, uh, we see Moses continue uh, with another group here in verse 12. It says, Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, But they said, we will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And so we see that this first group, their discontentedness led them to rebel against Moses. The second group we read about here, um, these men that were also involved, were just completely rejecting Moses' leadership. Um, They didn't even assemble themselves with the other men to come talk to Moses. They weren't willing to recognize Moses even on that level. They stayed at their tent. So Moses sent for them to talk with them to see um, what was going on potentially. And they wouldn't even come and talk to Moses. Um, their wording here is very interesting. Their response to Moses. That they say, it is not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey. Where have we heard that before? A land flowing with milk and honey. That's what the promise was for the land of Canaan when they went into it. That it was to be a land flowing with milk and honey. A place where they would be blessed. Where their crops would be bountiful. Where they would be able to amass wealth and be able to be a blessing to their own families and to the other nations around them. And instead, they're saying that they came out of a land with milk and honey. They're saying that it was better off in Egypt, that God had promised us this, but we had it better where we were. Why did we ever leave this? Why did Moses lead us away from this? That they've decided that slavery in Egypt was better than the blessing that God had promised them. They also accused Moses of bringing them out to die in the wilderness. These are the people that were telling Moses that it would be better if they died in the wilderness rather than dying at the hands of the Canaanites as they went to conquer the land. That because they refused to follow Moses and to follow God into the promised land, they would die in the wilderness. But obviously this wasn't their fault. 
that this was because of Moses and his leadership that they would die in the wilderness. And so they blame Moses for their own failures. And they rebel against God's order. They even question God's words. We see them, you know, again, stating some of the same wording that God had given in his promises to the people um, and just reversing it. This is not the promises we've been given, that we have not been led to a land of milk and honey and given an inheritance. But it was because of their own disobedience. They were unwilling to take responsibility for that. And it's interesting how much we learn about human nature as we study through the Old Testament. I mean, I'm sure none of us here would ever try to blame somebody else for our own problems or shortcomings. I'm sure I never have. But as much as the times have changed, as peoples and cultures have changed, that the sin nature that dwells within man still gives a lot of the same problems. Unwillingness to accept responsibility, a desire to shift blame, to seek success through the easy route, and even to rebel against God's order and God's leadership when things are difficult. And we see this continue in verse 15. Moses responds to these men saying, Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. Moses said to Korah, you and all your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they along with Aaron. Each of you take his firepan and put incense on it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 firepans. Also you and Aaron shall each bring his firepan. So they each took his own censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it, and they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And so Moses, in this section, restates the directions he'd given the other, other men to this group that refused to even come and appear before him as part of this complaint. I like uh, Moses' res- initial response here, that um, The Lord should not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them. I feel like that's a line I should start using somewhere, but I'm not quite sure where. No, Mom, I haven't taken a donkey from them. I wouldn't do that. Um, But needless to say, Moses is saying that he has done these people no wrong, that he's treated them fairly, that he's made sacrifices even on their behalf, that Moses has been more than fair, more than kind towards these men that were rebelling against him. We see in verse 15 that Moses also became angry. Anger is such an interesting topic to think about, especially in the scriptures. It's not inherently sinful. I think in this case, it appears that Moses is angry because these men are rebelling against the Lord. He's angry because they're disobeying God. And that's a type of anger that we should seek in some situations. That is a good thing. Anger when we see God being ignored, God not being obeyed, God not being revered as holy. And so not only were these men rebelling against Moses and against God, but they were leading the rest of the nation in this. Verse 19 tells us that Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the door of the tent of the meeting. That the whole nation was behind these men 
because of their, their decisions and what they wanted to see happen. That they all came up before Moses and Aaron with these same questions. Why is Moses leading us? Why has he brought us here to die? Why are things so difficult? And this is really, I think, one of the, the great mistakes that these men made. That they were supposed to be leaders. They were supposed to be leading their different clans, the different tribes of Israel, in obedience to God. And even though this was a difficult time, that they were to be wandering in the wilderness, waiting for the generation to die off, and the new one to take their place, that they still could have led the people well. They could have led them in obedience to God. And this time probably would have gone a lot smoother. But instead, they chose to lead the rest of the people in disobedience. And I think this is a big part of why these men are judged so quickly and so harshly. Because not only were they rebelling against God, they were leading others to rebel against God. And so verse 19 ends, it says, The glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. That God's glory appeared in some way, and they knew that God was going to choose at this moment. These men were all set there, they had their, their incense they were offering, they were standing there, ready, along with Moses and Aaron, to see what God would do. Would God confirm his previous choices, or would he anoint a new leader, choose someone else to take their place and to lead the people as they had desired? And God speaks in verse 20, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And so God makes his response known rather quickly. That they're assembled there, waiting to see, hoping that God would choose a new leader that would take them back to Egypt or do something different to end this suffering that they had brought upon themselves. And so God tells Moses and Aaron, get back, get out of the way. We need some room here. I'm going to wipe them all out. Again, this isn't the first time this has happened. That the people have rebelled so blatantly against God and against the way Moses and Aaron were leading them to follow God that God decides he's just going to destroy the entire nation of Israel and start over. That he's had it, this is enough, these people are not listening, they're not obeying, they're gone. And it's so interesting to notice the responses of Moses in these situations. That Moses and Aaron immediately fall on their faces once again before God and plead with him. When one man sins... Will you be angry with the entire congregation? Please, God, don't kill this entire nation because of the disobedience of a few. Well, it sounds like, judging by the reading, it was more than a handful of men. But nonetheless, they didn't want to see people that were swept up in this rebellion to be destroyed because of it. And they were pleading with God to have mercy and to save these people, despite their disobedience, despite their rebellion, despite the way that they tested God over and over and over again. 
And so God responds once again to Moses and he tells them to get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So instead of Moses and Aaron distancing themselves from everyone so God could wipe them out, he tells Moses to instruct the rest of the people, the congregation, to give these other guys some space. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram need to, you know, we need, we need to give them a little room. God's got some work to do over there. Verse 25, then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in all their sin. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will, know, you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. And so God gives further instructions here. He tells them to separate from the leaders of this rebellion, uh, to avoid these rebellious men. Uh, we also see that Moses is saying that everything that belongs to them, that all that's around them, will just be swallowed up, that the ground is going to open up, they're going to fall down into it and go down alive into Sheol, or the land of the dead, is um, how that would be translated, that these men would no longer be among the living because of their rebellion, because of this judgment, if what God has said is true, if what Moses has said is true. We also know here, um, it mentions that their families were with them. Um, as we read further on into Numbers, we'll see in chapter 26, uh, it says some things about the sons of Korah who were not killed. Uh, we see the sons of Korah appear again in the Psalms as well. Uh, it appears that um, they must have seen what was going on and repented from that and been able to follow after God. So um, even though their families were initially there, it appears, at least um, looking at the rest of the scriptural context, that they were not included in this judgment against these rebellious men. And so we see that man is responsible for their sins and for the consequences of that. That these men rebelled against God and that they were going to have to pay the price for that. There were going to be consequences. Um, it's also worth noting that their rebellion is described at the end of verse 30 as spurning the Lord, spiting God. That they were just completely disrespecting God and rejecting him. This was not just questioning of Moses, the man. This was questioning of God. This was rebellion against God. This was disrespect of God. I think there's a lesson here for all of us too. That we need to be careful who we associate with. We need to watch 
for rebellious people, for people that are opposing God, people that are opposing the order God has set in place. That the initial instructions were given to these people that they should get away, depart now from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them or you will be swept away in all their sin. That these men's sins had the potential to pull in the people around them and to bring death and destruction to so many more, more people. And that's why it's so important that they take care, that they obey God in this case, and they give these men space. That sin can lead a wide path of destruction and rebellion against God. In verse 31, then it came, out, came about as he finished speaking all these words that the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. God made swift work of these men. He was not messing around here. He you know, gave them, doesn't say how much time, probably not a lot, to get away from their tents, get away from their dwelling and their possessions, And the ground splits open and they're gone. They are no more. And we see the rest of the people flee in fear. It probably would be terrifying just seeing cracks in the ground open up and people disappear to a bottomless hole all of a sudden. And we see that fire also comes down from heaven. That the men who were to appear before the tent of meeting along with Aaron and Moses, these 250 other leaders kind of below these main men um, were standing there with their censers and their incense waiting to see, you know, if God would choose them and God chooses to destroy them with fire. They were rebelling against him, questioning Moses, and so they were immediately done away with as well. God was quashing this rebellion before it had a chance to go anywhere. And this is a good reminder that sin is costly. That these men had sinned in choosing not to go into the promised land. And because of that, they were faced more hardship. And so they sinned by trying to go against God's will, trying to reject God's leadership and reject what God had told them would happen anyway. And they sinned by disobeying God. And there was a cost to that. They were punished quite harshly and quite quickly for this before they had a chance to lead the rest of the nation astray. That God takes sin seriously. He takes rebellion seriously and he takes obedience seriously. Verse 36. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy, and you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, 
since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy, and they shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which the men who were burned had offered, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar. As a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman who is not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his company, just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. And so after all this has happened, after God has opened up the earth and swallowed up these primary leaders, that the secondary leaders of this rebellion were consumed by fire from heaven, that Eliezer, Aaron's son, one of the men who was actually a priest, is instructed to go up to gather these censers out of probably this you know, giant burnt area after these men being consumed. That he's to take these censers, these incense burners that are holy, and they're going to take them and coat the altar with them. They're going to hammer them flat, take the metal, and cover over the altar. That this is to be a sign, a reminder that God is holy. And this is really kind of the main point of this, this section here that God is holy that these men who rebelled against him were disregarding his commands, his laws, his leadership, and his holiness, that they were not respecting God as holy. They were not revering God as holy. And so this would serve as a reminder to that, that these men who were told, hey, yeah, go ahead, take your incense, go stand before the Lord. We'll see if he chooses you as a priest. That no one was to do that except for the sons of Aaron in this case, the priests, the ones God had chosen to fill this role, that this was a very specific role and they were to be holy and set apart for God because God is holy. I think it's interesting too that he leaves a reminder for all of this. You would think watching people fall into the ground, consumed by fire from heaven, that they wouldn't forget that. But they do. That they need these reminders of God's holiness, of the wrath God executes on sin, of who God is. That they have to have these physical reminders along the way. And again, even though a lot of time has passed, even though many things in the world have changed, that I think in the nature of mankind, we still need these same kind of reminders. That we can see God do amazing things. We can see God act in grace to those who follow him, act in wrath against those who disobey him. And it's easy to forget that and to get focused on ourselves and on our desires and what we want to see happen. That's why it's so important to remember what God has done, to remember who God is, whether that be time in his word or time just considering the work God has done in our lives and the lives of those around us. That we have to constantly remind ourselves to follow after God so that our sinful flesh doesn't lead us into disobedience and rebellion. And so we see, again, that all these things happen and that the people should remember 
but they still don't. And so as we go into our next sermon this next week, uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 41, um, actually fits um, with the next chapter, but we're going to see the people continue to rebel against God, continue to question God, continue to make a lot of the same mistakes. And we'll see God once again judge the people because of their sin, because of their rebellion, and continue to lead them into obedience to him. And there's some interesting things we can learn from this chapter, from these verses. I think the the main point of this chapter, of this narrative, this story here, is that rebellion against God's appointed leaders is rebellion against God. That God has set authorities in place. That that's part of the structure God has ordained. Uh, Whether that be for a nation, for a church, for a family. Um, Which is kind of a hard lesson for us to hear, especially in America. We love stories about rebels, for whatever reason. That's just, you know, we want to stick it to the man and fight for ourselves. and Stand up and, you know, do things our way. And more often than not, that's not the way that God would have us follow. That God has made authority as part of our lives and that we need to honor that. And in honoring that, we are honoring God. We also learn, like Moses, that when we serve God, we don't need to worry about defending ourselves. That these men came up, the entire nation was about to rebel against Moses again. And Moses doesn't say, no, I got this, I can handle this, I'm smart enough, I'm strong enough, I've been doing this for a while, I can keep doing it. He didn't defend himself. He said, okay, let's see what God says. Let's see what God does. Let's go before God and let him choose his leader. And God defended Moses quite dramatically, quite convincingly. That when we're following after God, we can trust God to stand for us, and to defend us if need be as we serve him. We also learn that discontent is a dangerous place to be. The start of all of this, this whole rebellion against God, these men being consumed by fire and taken down into the ground, it started with discontentedness. That they were not happy with the place they had been given, with the role God had given them. They didn't want to merely be servants to the priests. They didn't want to follow the leadership God had given them. They wanted to lead. They wanted to be the priests. They wanted recognition and power. And this discontent with their standing is what led them to question God, to question Moses, and to rebel against God's appointed order. And contentedness is, it's a tricky thing, I think, for most of us to attain. That it's so easy for us to want more, to desire more, to lust for bigger and greater things. In certain situations, that's not a bad thing. But being content before God is so important that we need to let God bring us up in his timing to the roles he has chosen for us and to gratefully and graciously serve him in the meantime.
We also see, again, that we're not that different from the Israelites. That we may rebel in less blatant, less obvious ways, but we're all rebels. We all deserve to be swallowed up by death, to be consumed by fire. That in many ways, we're more like Korah than we are like Moses. But God saved us anyway. That he sent his son to make a way for us to be right before him, even when we were in the midst of our sin. And so we can be encouraged by that. That God, who is just, who is so absolutely holy, who is powerful, who judges swiftly and in cases harshly, is also a God of grace and mercy. That he sent his son for us. And we can be encouraged by that as we follow after him. And so as we go from here, it's worth considering, are there areas where we're tempted to rebel and to usurp the authority that God has placed over us? Let's bring those before God, submit those to him, and strive for contentedness in the places God has given us, in the roles God has given us. Let's make sure that we're not desiring beyond what God has called us to. And let's take heart knowing that even though we don't deserve it, even though we are sinners, that he has made a way for us to be right before him. He has made a way for us to be holy in his sight and that he will equip us for the works he's given us and bring us safely home into his presence. Let's go to him in prayer. Thank you, Father, for this evening. Thank you for this word, Lord. I thank you for the truth of the book of Numbers that is just as relevant for us here tonight as it was thousands of years ago for the people of Israel. I thank you that you are holy, Lord, that you bring about your perfect will in your perfect timing, regardless of whether or not people obey. And I pray that you would help us to learn from these examples, Lord, that we could strive to be like Moses, to seek the good of those around us in all situations, Lord, to not be trying to raise ourselves up in the eyes of others, but to humbly submit to you the authority you've put over us and to seek your glory in all things, Lord. I pray that you would be with us this evening, that we would glorify you as we go from here, that we would glorify you as we work tomorrow in our homes, wherever it may be, Lord, that we would be seeking you in every area of life. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.